0: Marijuana has been illegal to possess and sell since the passage of the Controlled Substances Act in the 1970s, but has been used medicinally in cultures around the world for millennia. Indiana is currently one of the few states without access to medical cannabis or cannabis extracts. However, two bills passed this session would allow for the cannabis extract, specifically CBD, to be used by patients suffering from epileptic seizures and are now currently awaiting the governor's signature. On this week's Noon Edition, we'll talk to researchers and advocates to see how the passage of these bills might impact them and the signing of these bills might signal a shift in the current Indiana government's policy towards medical cannabis. After this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity Company Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of The Herald-Times, along with WFIU, WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire, and in, in Indiana lawmakers this year have approved bills in both the House and the Senate, allowing for the use of non-hallucinogenic cannabis extract as a treatment for controlling epileptic seizures. We're going to talk about uh, where those bills are right now. They've been approved, but they're awaiting, uh, they've been in conference committee, and we're going to see what's come out of the conference committee and whether the governor is likely to sign it uh, on today's edition of noon edition so you can join us uh, on the program by uh, calling 812-855-0811 in bloomington or toll free 1-877-285-9348 and you will be talking with sarah and i as well as our four guests we have three in the studio betty joe B- boucher who is a patient advocate Brian O'Donnell, a professor at IU's Department of Psychological and Brain uh, Sciences, uh, Diana Miller Wilson, executive director of the Epilepsy Foundation Indiana Chapter, and Jeff Stakes, uh, Hoosier Veterans for Medical Cannabis. All right, thank you all for being here with us today. I'm gonna. J- Jeff's joining us by phone. He's up uh, just north He's in Miami County, and he's joining us by phone. In, Jeff, um, we were talking before the program, I think Jeff has the latest on uh, what's going on at the State House with these bills. Jeff?
1: Yes, uh, it was about uh, 20 minutes ago. Um, Bill Friend was uh, just introducing uh, 1148, um, uh, just getting out of the uh, conference committee report, and uh, it passed the House floor 100 to 0 um, They're going to notify the Senate, and during his testimony, the bill friend um, stated that uh, it has the full support of uh, the governor, the attorney general, um, IPAC, and uh, the Indiana State Police. So, so what, this looks like the bill that's going to pass this year. What's in this bill? Well, actually, there it's just for um, uh, certain types of epilepsy. I, I think they they refrained from using certain types and opened it up because there's I understand that there's quite a few uh, different types of epilepsy um, so you know this this is a step in the right direction I, I think you've got some uh, expert guests there that could tell right. you um, some of the you know specifics of it but uh, I tell everybody as far as medical cannabis here in our state uh, which this is um, this is the key that that opens the door to um, for other treatments, you know uh, that this that this plan is is most definitely good
0: for. And Jeff, we'll get back to you uh, and talk sure. about who's your veterans and and why you think this is important. But Dian- Diana Miller Wilson, the executive director of the Epilepsy Foundation Indiana chapter. So, Diana, what uh, what are the specifics of this bill when it comes to epilepsy?
2: Well, initially, you know, with the CBD, it, it's not. The hallucinogenics, as you know, indicated, mm-hmm. um, it's really just kind of the first step to right. get mm-hmm. things, get the conversation going and get things moving within our current political climate. Mm-hmm. And I know Betty Jo did a lot of advocating for SB 15. And so
3: I think she might be able to drill a little deeper on the okay. specific bill. Sure. Sure. Thanks, Diana. So um, this particular bill and the ones that came before it that this one was uh, sort of merged into is specific to the use of cannabidiol to treat intractable intractable epilepsy, which is essentially um, a term for epilepsy that cannot be controlled through traditional pharmaceuticals. Um, So this is an option for patients that have tried several different um, drugs over the past to to maintain seizure control. This is an option that they now can and um, uh, talk to their physicians about and work with their physicians um, to use this as part of their treatment.
4: Okay,
0: Brian O'Donnell, why is this important to you and your department?
4: Uh, well, as a cl- clinician and a clinical scientist, um, you know, epilepsy, and trical epilepsy is a really you know, severe disorder and um, the possibility of having better treatments is, is very encouraging. Um, my main concerns with cannabidiol is, is just the because of the uh, federal laws, there really has been very little uh, controlled research regarding, for example, the the best dosages or dosage range, um, or the types of it. But it works for or does not work for. Uh, and another issue is is uh, there may be long-term effects in terms of child development, brain development, with Exposure chemicals, which are totally unknown at this point, mm-hmm. um, so clearly people who have a child with or a person with intractable seizures—I mean, it's a situation where um, you'll go forward with it—but uh, it would be good to have a bill which also included uh, mechanisms to do control testing um, and not be liable for federal prosecution, for example. Um, and I, I think that would be a really a positive, uh, you know, direction to go in. So you're urging a little caution, it
0: sounds like, when it comes to to this issue.
4: Well, it's still unclear to me. I, I'm not really familiar with the legislation. Um, this is still a controlled substance from federal law perspective, right? Uh, am I wrong about that? Or yeah, how, how, I'm not sure how that works in terms of a liability for. Clinicians prescribing it, for people using it, or for people producing that and selling a product.
1: Well, right.
4: yeah, Jeff, go, go ahead. ahead.
1: Jeff. Uh, yeah, um, well, the state is is taking out or uh, using the language to, um, uh, you know, researchers like yourself, to uh, safeguard you from prosecution. And um, yes, it is. You know, medical cannabis has always been a Schedule One. Uh, drug federally, but as you can see, we've got 29 states in the District of Columbia that have uh, medical cannabis laws. So um, basically, anything that's not written in the Constitution is delegated to the states and to the people. And obviously, medical cannabis is not in there. Um, so that's why you see the states. And Indiana is taking that step today uh, on doing exactly that uh, to safeguard their... You know their citizens, and the parents, and doctors, and pharmacists, and researchers from from any prosecution from studying this this medicine.
3: And to Dr. Donnell, Dr. O'Donnell's point, I think it's, um, you know, from our perspective, um, I'm a mom of a child with epilepsy, um, and I hope that I'm sort of bringing that voice to the table today is we view this as an opportunity to open up um, to clinical trial in Indiana, right, and have the opportunity to research the dosage, the effect, um, you know, and, and certainly we're not going to get to long-term effects in the, you know, short-term, of course, um, but we do know, for example, the drugs that my son takes to control his seizures do have long-term impacts on his liver as well as his cognitive development. Mm-hmm. So we know that the only way to control my son's seizures is to sort of expose him to the, the litany of side effects that come with those pharmaceuticals as well. So you mentioned earlier just how you already had to have tried lots
5: of different drugs with no effect. Why is it that epilepsy in particular is just so difficult to find
3: the, the right drug that can help? Well, I think that's a really good question, and I think um, in many ways the brain uh, remains a mystery to us. Um, you know, epilepsy has several different forms. Um, my uh, son's particular type of epilepsy is generalized, um, so when he has a seizure, his entire brain lights up. It's like a sort of a fire in the forest. Whereas um, other folks, just a very small part of their brain might light up during a seizure. So, it's a it's a very personalized therapy type of neurological disorder, and so it really does, it is sort of trial and error, unfortunately, right? And and I recall sort of being in that position, you know, talking to our neurologist saying, what do you mean we now have to try something else? You know, and the word try just felt so... Um, heart-wrenching to me, right? We have to sort of just try stuff until it works. But that's truly sort of the course of action to find the right cocktail, if you will, um, to control our son's seizures. And it's not just one one medication. It's very common for folks with epilepsy to take many medical therapies at the same time to control their seizures.
0: How How old is your son? He's 12. 12 years old. Yeah. Okay. He was
3: diagnosed at 10. Okay. So
5: the same would be true with, with CBD, though, too, right? Like it, it, it Correct. It's not going to work for everybody. That's, that's correct. That's right. Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, certainly we're not advocating that CBD be the first line of treatment. Um, you know, we're saying that this is an additional profes- professional treatment option that, you know, individual families can engage with their medical
5: provider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've read now just some stories where it seems like people may
3: already be using it and in, in some cases, but just doing it illegally. We so. do have families in Indiana that are treating um, their children um, illegally, um, you know, and I'll speak for myself when my son, when he did not have seizure control, it was, you know, probably the worst time in my life, um, and certainly for my son as well. And we were just there sort of having seizures all day long trying to figure out how to move our lives forward and a friend who lives in Colorado said you know I'll come out this summer and I will bring this stuff with me this Charlotte's web <laughs> I'll bring that with me and I thought to myself if I could help my child and go to jail I don't I don't know what the the trade off would have been now fortunately we're lucky that we found a therapy that works for him that is legal in the state of Indiana but it occurred to me that an option would be to just leave the state and and move somewhere where the you know sort of the the legislators were sort of listening to their citizenship in a different way. All right. Can 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 you sort of explain? I guess what is a day
5: in the life for you if this is something where you're even considering moving, in order to to sure. get the medication.
3: Yeah. Well, for us, um, we're. I guess, you know, it's interesting to say, sort of looking back, we're fortunate that my son would only have one or one to three seizures a day. Um, I know parents whose um, children have hundreds of seizures a day. Um, my son has full tonic clonic seizures, which used to be called grand mal seizures. Um, so he um, does everything that you would normally see in the movies um, and doesn't breathe for an extended period of time. And we pray that he will wake up. And we don't know when he wakes up, if he will have brain damage, or whether he will wake up at all. That's really what that's like, is sort of this constant state of fear. And and uh, I, I think the tougher part of epilepsy in general is we don't, as I'm sitting here, I'm waiting for my phone to ring because he could have a seizure at any point in time. He's 12 years old, he's still growing, his medication could stop working, and he could have a seizure and fall down a flight of stairs at any moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Diana, yeah, if you could uh, sort of expand on that. I mean, how how common is this? And from your your chapter of the Epilepsy Foundation, I mean, what what is your main focus?
2: Sure, well, we do um, know that there are approximately 100,000 individuals in Indiana that suffer the daily challenges of epilepsy. Obviously, that number, as far as the impact goes, is much larger when you factor in families and educators and employers and so forth. So the number is quite significant in 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 Indiana. So what we try to offer from a foundation perspective is, um, you know, obviously education, raising awareness, uh, support, direct programs um, for adults as well as children. So you know, to you know, Betty Jo's point you know what we do know is that there are a lot of risks with seizures um, you know risk of progressive brain you know dysfunction um, risk for brain damage that may be profound um, we know that there are multiple safety risks um, and emotional risk quality of life I mean you know Betty Joe didn't speak to that but I'm sure I have a middle school child um, that does not have epilepsy and I know what Middle school is like for my child. um, I also know from multiple stories, um, very humbling, very heart-wrenching stories from families across our state, and what they, um, with their family members, endure from you know that social aspect. Um, You know, we know there's a risk of death, which is you know sudden unexplained death of epilepsy. So there are a lot of risk, and we also know that there needs to be a lot more research done. Mm-hmm.
0: Let me give our phone numbers again. Uh, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join us, uh, follow us on Twitter, at noon addition. Well, Dr. O'Donnell, what kind of research um, is the most promising when it comes to epilepsy at this point? Is there any promising research that, that you're seeing?
4: Um, what we're discussing today is, yeah. is really, um, I think, exciting. There have been a couple of recent uh, careful trials showing that, at least in some types of epilepsy, uh, a derivative, chem- a chemidyl compound, is, is uh, as effective or more effective. Than currently used medications, mm-hmm. and um, as other people have pointed out, the current pharmacological <clears throat> agents for epilepsy do themselves have a wide variety of risks associated with them, mm-hmm. as, as well as often interfering with cognition. Uh, so uh, you know, like I said, I, I hope that we'll see uh, you know a framework in which it, it is possible to do to do uh, trials that are systematic. Uh, for different types say of of epilepsy or other uh, uh possible applications of cannabidiol in Indiana.
0: This may be a, a difficult question so please just let me know if I'm asking too much but is this it, can you explain to us sort of in layman's terms I mean how how this drug would work and what what happens in a, in the brain of somebody who who has epilepsy
4: um, I don't know if I'm not an expert in seizure disorders and cannabidiol, Gotcha. Um, Okay. But we have a number of people here doing uh, basic research in animal models for uh, cannabinoid targeted substances. There is very little understanding of how cannabidiol affects the brain um, in humans. Um, and even in rodent studies, it's it's very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we're a long ways off from understanding really the mechanism, but I th- believe the clinical trials, as I said earlier, are, are very encouraging. Mm-hmm.
5: But we don't know what sort of, maybe you two can use, what sort of long-term effects this might have on, I mean, a child's brain. There's just really not any data on that yet? Mm-hmm.
3: No, right.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, I want to bring Jeff Stakes back into our conversation. So, Jeff, you're with Hoosier Veterans for Medical Cannabis. So, Correct. you know, how, uh, I guess give me the overview of what your organization does and, and why this particular bill is uh, is of interest to you.
1: Well, um, for me, it just started with, um, uh, yeah, for eight out of the 10 years, past 10 years, I've been on uh, on prescription hops and cotton, um, and, I just got off of it back in July, and that's what got started me on this, this whole thing. I asked my BA doctor what he thought about uh, medical cannabis and, and treatment, and he said that if he had the option of prescribing it, uh, here in this state, he would, um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of doctors out there that are self-educating themselves about this medicine, and, um, and, and that's what really got me going. Um, Unfortunately, what we're going to see is uh, not only do you see this law for CBD, but you're going to see a lot of laws in our state that the VA has already implemented uh, on the opiate addiction problem that we have in our country. And um, the state is going to start reducing how they prescribe uh, and medicate the patients here in our state. But unfortunately, you're going to run into a situation where they're, they're already addicted, and they're going to turn to an outlet Uh, to feed that addiction. Unfortunately, they'll turn to heroin or something like that where there could be a beneficial alternative like medical cannabis. Now, going back to the epilepsy and stuff like that, you know, my understanding and my research is that, you know, these seizures are just a short circuit in the brain. And what dial, along with a small amount of THC, work together in the entourage effect in... um, connecting the sensors that that start the short circuit. And that's where you get a better quality of life um, for these children and and people with epilepsy. Um, And, you know, the the alternative is all these other drugs that are killing, Uh, they they have a a reduced quality of life with these other medications that that are not working.
5: I feel like I have to ask the really dumb and obvious question, but is there a risk of of addiction with this to cannabis cannabis oil? Can ab, you get a high and get addicted ab, to that?
1: Ab, absolutely not. I mean, um, I talked to uh, Senator um, uh, last week, and he wanted to know what this what this drug was uh, for our children. and uh, And the metaphor I can only use is non alcoholic beer. <laughs> I mean, do you uh, non alcoholic beer? You think it has no alcohol whatsoever? No, it has like 0.05 um, percent alcohol. It, it takes you—you'd you, never get drunk on it, you know. But and, and that's what what this Cannabidiol um, bill is. It's it's just a non-alcoholic beer for the treatment of of this epilepsy, the, the seizures that these children are having, and there is no evidence of addiction. Whatsoever. If somebody says that they're addicted to marijuana, they have addictive personality, like a like a hoarder would, or Mm -hmm. somebody that would eat too much, or or to that effect.
3: Yeah, I think it's sort of an interesting question, Um, and the reason it's interesting to me is. On average, um, folks that um, are diagnosed with epilepsy that have found a medication treatment will maybe need to be on that treatment for the rest of their lives. Um, So it's very likely that my son will always have to take the handful of medication um, that he takes today. And so it's sort of an interesting parallel is, you know, um, the addiction is sort of um, kind of irrelevant even if there was evidence because he is dependent on those medications. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's an ongoing thing. I feel like with so many drugs It's sure.
0: right.
5: sort of the debate between those two, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And,
0: and Jeff, I mean, you, you said that you were on uh, OxyContin for eight years out of the last right. 10. Um, you know, I have, the other obvious question I have to ask, did you feel like you were addicted to that, and is that why you wanted to get off?
1: No, not really. Um, I, I had a little bit of withdrawal, and obviously, you know, I have to deal with chronic pain. Um, But the alternative is taking all these other medications that will, uh, unfortunately, um, ruin my liver or some other function, but uh, the fact that, you know, we need something to treat chronic pain, um, um, even when we cut these patients off of their opiates, they're going to still deal with the um, the ailments that they have, even our veterans with PTSD and uh, the, the injuries that they come back with, you know so um, we need something that's not going to kill them. Uh, You know, these opiates are killing them. Um, And marijuana, nobody is overdosed on marijuana or cannabis.
0: All right. We we need to take a short break. Um, We're talking about... um, medical marijuana but also just the use of cannabis um, non-hallucinogenic cannabis extract uh that's in a bill that would help treat epilepsy uh, among young people in the state you can join us at 812 811 if you have any questions or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. 285 9348 you can also follow us at noon edition on twitter we'll be right back Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald Times along with WFIU, WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. And we're talking about um, bills that have cleared the Indiana House and Senate. Uh, that would allow the use of non-hallucinogenic cannabis extract for treatment for controlling epileptic seizures. We have three guests in the studio, one on the phone. Uh, Joining us by phone from Miami County is Jeff Stakes, Hoosier Veterans for Medical Cannabis. In the studio, we have Betty Jo Boucher, a patient advocate, who has a 12-year-old son who has epilepsy. Uh, Brian O'Donnell, professor at IU's Department of Psychological and Brain Scientists and Diana Miller-Wilson, Executive Director of the Epilepsy Foundation, the uh, Indiana chapter. Once again, our phone numbers, and we'd like to hear from you, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, or 1-877-285-9348, outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join us or follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition.
5: So this bill is narrowly tailored to epilepsy, and the governor had previously said that he wasn't didn't have any appetite for expanding the use of legal drug use but do you all have any idea why you know he may have sort of changed his tune here and might be willing to sign this
3: um you know obviously i can't speak you know to what's in his heart um but i can speak to what's in ours and what we saw during testimony um, uh, for both of those bills um, are families who are suffering in his state um, with children who, you know, have a, the risk of dying um, from their seizures. And so my my guess, my hope, and my assumption is that, you know he he really heard that, right? That we have families um, suffering. Um, that you know, and again, I think you know one of the things that we've talked about is that this may this may not be the panacea for epilepsy. In fact, it, it's likely it is not. Um, but the the having the option of a therapy that we had did not have before is critical for a family that is in that kind of urgent state. This is something that Karen Tallian has been trying to
5: mm-hmm. pass for a number of years now. I'm wondering why why now and why I guess why epilepsy?
3: gosh, it's hard to say yeah. right you know she um, she had a significant amount of research and testimony that she brought um, specifically to the Senate bill. Um, and you know is, is certainly a credible source you know in all of this. I think you know potentially we were just in the, the right place at the right time. Um, and I think because the Senate bill really did focus uh, focus on children with epilepsy, my guess is is that that really sort of opened the eyes towards, you know we don't we don't have everything worked out yet, you know to Dr. O'Donnell's point, there are you know a couple of things that still need to be worked out. Um, but the, the leap of faith, you know, to help a child that is suffering in our state seemed to be the driving principle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was a sheriff that did some testimony, um, I think, I believe it was his granddaughter um, that has epilepsy, and he. Yeah. there was a lot of talk about sort of the um, the canine mm-hmm. units and whether they would be, you know, sort of alarm on the all, and it was sort of an interesting commentary. And he said, if we're going to, you know, sort of stop what we're talking about on the nose of a dog when there are children, you know, I mean, it was just, it was very poignant. The stories Correct. were real. People were crying, you know, in the audience, and you could see the affect, you know, from the senators, you know, and the representatives.
0: Mm-hmm. Diana, do you have anything that you want to add to that?
3: Well, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: what we do know is that about three people out of 10 that suffer epilepsy are not having seizure relief with the current therapies that are available. That does include surgery that includes special diets um, that are very restrictive and also can have um, subsequent adverse impact. Um, So what we do know is that there has been a lot of research done over the years to try to um, eradicate epilepsy, if you will. Um, And we're we're still seeing about a third of our folks that are not getting um, relief.
5: And so, um, you know, perhaps that might be why now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, Brian, if this is something you can speak to or, or maybe this is better for you, Diane, but but why is it that with epilepsy, it seems like in particular, people tend to de- patients tend to develop this resistance to the drugs and something that might work doesn't then. did right. do you have any idea why that's?
4: Um, this is conjecture, because again, I'm, I'm not an expert on the right. biology of seizures, but. For virtually all psychoactive drugs acting in the brain, tolerance develops. You know, and that's true for marijuana compounds, or very true for opioids, um, true for alcohol, uh, tobacco. So uh, the effects. You, you, what users often do is increase the dose, but there's a certain ceiling on that for for most drugs. Uh, so, but there are other changes over time that in, in seizure disorders that are often. In the other direction. so if some people, as they get older, the seizures become much less severe. Uh, so it's it's it, it's hard to make, generalize like mm-hmm. and what the outcome is going to be.
0: All right, we have a phone call, so let's go to uh, Steve from Bloomington. Steve, yes. Hey, go ahead.
7: Uh, I just wanted to comment. I'm the chairman of Normal, the National Organization for the form of Marijuana Laws, and we've done lots of research and accumulated research for oh twenty 20-some years about the medical benefits of cannabis, including the CBD oil uh, that's being talked about today. I think uh, Indiana is one of only six states that doesn't have some kind of medical cannabis, so it's certainly time uh, and appropriate for Indiana to at least to sign on to the CBD oil bill here in Indiana to help those people uh, with epilepsy. Uh, and I did like the, the conversations early with Jeff Stalker we talked about marijuana being a uh, drug, and medical marijuana being used to reduce opiate addiction and get people off of opiates. Uh, Actually, medical marijuana uh, was favored by 73% of the people in Indiana in a poll last October in Indiana. Um, And uh, recently the the U.S. population has voted for legalizing marijuana by 61% in a CBS poll yesterday. But uh, clearly the population in Indiana Uh, And around the country is about 80% in favor, 70 to 80% for medical marijuana and CBD oil is very safe, uh, doesn't get people high or addicted to anything and will help them uh, tremendously with these spasticity disorders. So I certainly want to encourage the governor uh, to sign this bill. It's the compassionate uh, thing to do, it's the science supports it and my hope is we'll expand to uh, medical marijuana next time around.
0: All right Steve thank you very much for your uh, your call. Um
4: I just I wanted to Can I follow with that? uh yeah,
0: yeah Jeff you go first and then we'll have Brian. Yeah.
4: Yeah
1: um well going back um this year uh, at the beginning of their legislation after the elections uh, I sent out 150 150- Um, certified packages to all of our legislators. And uh, it contained a couple books with some information about how we got to where we are in uh, the United States with medical cannabis. And one of those books was uh, Emerging Clinical Applications of Cannabis and Cannabidiols. And, uh, you know, my whole purpose this year has been to educate our legislators. And with uh, 11 bills between the House and Senate this year that dealt with um, cannabidiol or medical marijuana and medical cannabis. Uh, I think that's been the big influence and stuff. And as you can tell by our conversation, we, we're talking about this, these two bills, but at the same time, we're also talking about medical cannabis. Uh, and that's where I think the governor is is getting stepped on a little bit, you know, because he doesn't want to see this. But at the same time, this is exactly what we're doing. Um so, uh, I
0: just wanted to put my two bits in about that. All right. So, Brian O'Donnell, I know you've, uh, you've got some research about some of these effects.
4: Well, uh, we're talking about what has changed. I, I think one thing has changed is that um, the interest uh, both by basic scientists and clinicians in uh, cannabinoid-targeted drugs has really increased a lot the past decade. So it's really a very different situation than it was, say, in 2000. Um, I wanted to call attention to a couple of resources that uh, I think are are really excellent in terms of giving an overview of uh, po- of the evidence for it, both the therapeutic effects and um, possible injurious effects to health that come out recently. One is from the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, the title is "The Health Effects of Cannabis and Cannabinoids: The Current State of Evidence, Recommendations for Research," and uh, this is a four hundred page. Uh, review of of many different issues and w- based in the best science that's available right now, uh, we've also seen articles like in the Journal of American Medical Association assessing use of uh, cannabis compounds for different disorders, and uh, they conclude, among other things, that the evidence really is quite compelling for its use in many types of chronic pain. Uh, so I think there's the now the. Scientific community is really getting behind, um, you know, a, a much more aggressive consideration of the, the wide variety of compounds that are in cannabis. Uh, the other thing I should mention is that in, in talk about marijuana as being a thing, but actually, then there's about fifty compounds in marijuana that act in the brain, uh, not just THC or cannabidiol. Um, the mix of those compounds and the dosages may have a big impact on you know their effects. And here again, I think regulation, better regulation, so consumers know what's in what they're buying, um, as well as sources that can be used for research that have, are very, very well characterized uh, for systematic studies would be really uh, important.
0: Well, just so I can follow up on that, I mean, fifty different compounds in there, and you know, we we talk about two compounds generally. Mm-hmm. So, what is this like? Um, a a big opportunity, do you think, for brain scientists?
4: Um, yeah, it's being investigated very aggressively at, at the um, you know at at in kind of animal models and cellular studies uh, in terms of pharmacology, um, and there are people there are a number of scientists here like uh, Ken Backey and Andrew Holman who are also working in conjunction with uh, pharmaceutical industry to uh, do control trials of kind of synthetic forms. Uh, so I think there is a lot of a lot of excitement and a lot of promise. Mm-hmm. All right. We have another
0: phone call. This time, it's Sarah from Bloomington. Sarah.
1: Hi. Um, I've been on, on anti seizure medication since I was eleven. I'm now seventy eight, and it's um, people worry about medical marijuana. I think because it has recreational, I mean, marijuana has recreational possibilities. But this business about side effects. All these old medications have side effects too. Um, so with you know, pretty late that I learned that probably the seizure medication that I've needed for years uh, has caused my osteoporosis. Um, mm-hmm. You, you gotta you got have it because it lets you live a normal life if you're lucky, and I was, uh, but you can't pretend that medicines, a lot of them, don't have side effects, they do, and you just have to live with those, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, thank you, Sarah. Appreciate yes, your right. comment. Anybody want to respond?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I, I was just going to remark that um, it was interesting that she said that she was lucky and mm-hmm. she had um, osteoporosis, right? And I think that that's a, that's a very telling um, sort of nuance to her story. And I think most people with epilepsy would say very similar things, right? My son's side effects, you know, we, we lament about them um, all the time. And we work through them as much as we possibly can with the understanding that we are so grateful and lucky that his seizures are currently controlled.
0: Well, it's interesting to me that she said she was diagnosed when she was eleven, eleven. Mm-hmm. and uh, now she's seventy-eight, mm-hmm. and your son was ten when he was diagnosed. Correct. So he could have a very long life and have osteoporosis in sixty-seven years,
3: and liver damage likely, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and one of the things that we haven't really talked about at all, and it would remain to be seen if cannabidiol, you know, would be in a in a similar. Boat, but the cost of um, uh, <laughs> anti-seizure um, medications um, are astronomical. Um, you know, significant amounts of money that folks are trying to spend on their medication. And sadly, um, adults with epilepsy, especially if their seizures are not well controlled, have a very hard time maini- maintaining full-time employment as well. So it becomes this this very ugly cycle um, where they're not able to support themselves both financially, just in general, but also for their medication.
5: If this bill passes, it doesn't do anything. It, well, I guess, okay, so if it passes, what exactly does it do?
3: Well, it, you know that's sort of an interesting um, nuance if you look at the the current um, bill. So we just looked at it online um, since it was you know just sort of um, talked about twenty minutes before the show. Um, it does not um, sort of it does not allow for the cultivation or the manufacturing and cultivation you know of. Cannabidol in Indiana. So that is that is what it does not do. Um, it does not sort of specify sort of dosage and or corresponding therapeutic effect. But it does allow for sort of the decriminalization, if you will, if a physician and a patient decided that this was a good treatment option. Um, and obviously, they wouldn't be able to get it in the state of Indiana. You know, that would sort of have to be worked out. But my understanding is the Indiana Department of Health um, will, will maintain the registry of manufacturers, and maintain the integrity of that distribution. That's my understanding. So you could get a prescription <coughs> for it. Correct. But does that necessarily mean that insurance
5: would help cover that? or is that? I would seriously do... doubt it. Right. So, okay, <laughs> it might be a treatment option if this passes, mm-hmm. but it might not be covered in the same way that other drugs might be. It,
1: it should be more co- cost effective uh, than, than pharmacia out there. So that was kind of hitting the nail on the head with the... The prices, so you'll find that these uh, these cannabidiol treatments are a lot less than than what you see out there
0: from the mm-hmm. kid. Jeff, while while you're uh, while we have you on on the line, sure. so what um, what's the VA? You know, does the VA do much lobbying for uh, on behalf of trying to get <laughs> access to medical cannabis, or does it have a, a differing point of view?
1: Okay, the, the VA is is. They have to go by federal standards, and obviously, but um, I've been in contact with Congressman Blumenauer's office, and there is a bill out this year, it's uh, H.R. 1820, the Veterans Equal Access uh, Act, and it basically says that um, VA doctors can recommend patients to participate in medical cannabis programs only in states that have medical cannabis Laws, so Indiana is not one of them, but it should be. But uh, again, this is just a bill that's being introduced um, at a federal level. So, and we've got a handful of countries, for instance, Canada, Israel, uh, and some others, that you know actually um, prescribe medical cannabis to their veterans. Uh, so, um, the research is out there, uh, especially Israel. They have done outstanding research uh, in all th- sorts of ailments um, with this medication.
0: How long have you worked on this issue overall, and have you seen what kind of change have you seen at the state house?
1: Uh, you asking me? Yes, I am <laughs> well, asking you. <laughs> I, I, I started. Uh, I started back in last July. Okay, so, uh, but uh, I have. I have been overwhelmed by the support that I've gotten. I thought I would give a lot of retribution, but uh, unfortunately for my veterans, um, they're like, where have you been? Let's do this, you know, we need this. We're we're dying of uh, the prescriptions that the VA's, the VA's prescribing us, you know? We're dying, we had a veteran dying every 30 minutes of a prescription pain medication overdose. You have more veterans dying each year than has died in the twin towers and the planes and all the combat deaths we've had since nine 11 every year. And, um, you know, this is, this is the battle that we're fighting. And, um, it, it seems like I, I you know, I've been at the forefront and I'll be up on top I, and I don't, I, I don't take me, uh, medical cannabis now because I'm a federal employee. Um, and, uh, you know, I just won't jeopardize my, my career, but, um, you know,
0: this is, this is a good battle to be fought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got about 10 more minutes. We have a, a, a phone numbers to give you, 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington. one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight 285 9348 from outside of the Bloomington area, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. Can is I it,
1: ask the doctor a question real quick?
0: Yeah, sure.
4: Yeah, uh, is it uh,
1: O'Donnell? Yes, yeah. hi. Um, what, um, what is your perspective of uh, Parkinson's? Um, do you think that that could be considered a form of uh, seizures um, for our seniors? As, um, as you know, we have the epilepsy disease for, for our children and young adults.
4: Yeah, Parkinson's disease wouldn't be classified as a seizure disorder. It's it's due to the loss of um, a particular type of neuron in the brain, dopamine neurons which results in the gradual loss of motor control and postural problems and tremor. Um, yeah. So it's it's a different cause. A little
1: bit, little bit different. Right. Yeah. But, um, obviously we're, we're seeing, if you go on YouTube, we're seeing the effects um, of cannabidiol oil um, for um, our seniors in treating uh, Parkinson's. So I just
5: wondered if that would be considered a type of seizure. So, thank you. Uh-huh. So, so, Senator Tallien was, I know, much earlier in the session talking about putting some sort of language into the bill that would also allow for the study to see if this should be expanded to other other illnesses. Um, I'm just sort of wondering, I guess, Jeff, from you, just what are the logical next steps if if this is well, approved for epilepsy where do we, where would you want to see it go from here <laughs> that,
1: that that's my point of view uh right, you know with this bill i mean if if this this medicine is good enough for uh, children with epilepsy then it, then it should be good enough for seniors with with parkinson's and it should be good enough to treat well there's no cure for alzheimer's but it shows to slow the progressive alzheimer's down i mean there's so much out there and hopefully, our state won't be narrow-minded, and um, we'll do some studies and um, provide us the opportunity to treat those women. In if this is the medicine that that uh, is the answer. And,
5: and Betty Joe, I know I know you're also a doctor in addition to being a mother. So, I mean. I guess sort of since, since you do see it from both sides, what do you think is next in terms of research or what's necessary in order to make this sort of a more recognized or, what's the word I'm really looking for here, something that, that more people buy into as an effective treatment?
3: Um, sure, so um, I should preface, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm a <laughs> doctor of education, so just um, uh, not sort of weighing in from a medical community perspective, but I think um, on on the the, Sort of the optics on it, I think, is probably what you're getting to, and the acceptability. No, um, I think, you know. For me, um, I am a researcher and evidence is, is you know, really the lifeblood of, you know, sort of how I direct my life, right? And there's a lot of evidence to support the pharmacology with respect to epilepsy. And I think, you know, any parent, any physician, you know, any legislature legislator should want to see the evidence. And that's really what we hope to build in Indiana, is that evidence for Hoosiers, right? To show that, you know, we have some efficacy, that we are seeing, you know, specific to this bill, folks with intractable epilepsy, you know, having, you know, better seizure relief or seizure control. And so I think it's about producing that evidence. And then, you know, to Jeff's point, if that evidence can then be, you know, sort of a proxy for other, you know, diseases um, and disorders, I think that that's also fantastic. Um, But I think it's really about continuing to show the evidence and, you know, continuing to dispel the myths that this is um, not uh, handing, you know, a joint to your kid and saying smoke up, right? This is, and I use, you know, very clear layman's terms there because there were some conversations that sort of sounded like that in the very early hearings of the Senate Bill 15, right? Where it was sort of, you know, these um, judgments, if you will, that these parents wanted to give their kids pot. Right, and that is absolutely positively what this is not about. Right, mm-hmm. and continuing to pull those things apart, um, even when we, you know, keep calling it medical cannabis, it makes me slightly uncomfortable because we really are talking about the cannabidol. right, the oil, right, and we're talking about an extract, not you know, again, smoking marijuana, right? So I always wanna to continue to, to pull those two apart and be clear about what we're talking about specific to this bill.
0: Yeah, and I wanna ask uh, Brian O'Donnell, because when we were off the air at the break, you talked about how a lot with these, these this research that you were citing before, mm-hmm. that it really helps to, to give a lot of evidence, rather than having one side saying, oh, I'm all for this and and the other side saying, no, I'm totally against this for political reasons more than actually science-based reasons.
4: Uh, Yeah, well, people have political and and, uh, moral viewpoints about marijuana that um, but it is true that until the 20th century marijuana was used in Western medicine um, therapeutically. Uh, Now, that Kind of predated the era of controlled trials, but um, but there's an as I said, there's been a resurgence in, in interest and therapeutic potential and um, the evidence I think is starting to be there that can inform uh, patients, patient advocates and legislatures. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. So there would have to be a registry for approved patients can can either can either of you explain oh. that? Maybe Diane can.
3: Yeah, that yeah. part of the bill is a, is frankly a little murky to me okay. in terms of how that would actually you know play out. Um, I do know that there were some families that came over, um, I think from Ohio and Kentucky, mm-hmm. that had um, you know sort of ID cards that were given to them, produced by the state, that they had to keep with them at all times. And be able to show, you know, to whomever you needed to see that. So my guess is the the Department of Health would maintain, you know, that type of registry. But I'm just not. So it's more like of a, law, a something like a tool yeah. law enforcement could use, or something in that case. Like yes, you do, you
5: are legally mm-hmm. allowed to have this in your possession, right?
0: We've got less than three minutes to go, and I just want to give all of our guests an opportunity to just, you know, about 30 seconds kind of sum up, and Jeff, I want to start with you. I mean, what do you hope happens, you know, now that it appears this, this, as you told us, this bill has sort of been finalized, you're hoping the governor signs it, what next? And Sarah asked you that, but just summarize very quickly. I'm I'm just uh,
1: one to educate uh, our public and... um, and obviously, if you don't mind me giving a shout-out, I, I have a Facebook page for Hoosier Veterans for Medical Cannabis, and uh, we have a .org uh, website where they can actually see these documentaries and the effects of medical cannabis on the human body and all these uh, elements that we have. So um, hopefully, we're again, this is the key that unlocks the door for Indiana, and uh, soon we'll be opening it uh, and moving forward. Brian?
4: Um, This has just been very informative and um, you know, I I hope that we do see a registry we're discussing implemented so that we do have longitudinal data on outcomes, say for different types of seizure disorders, Mm -hmm. and that could be enormously informative. (laughs) All right, Diana?
2: Well, we do support safe legal access, you know, broader access when possible um, to allow conversations to continue and um, ideally, some bring some validity to the therapy for sure. Um, you know, we do know that therapies derived from CBD show some promise. If, you know, for people with living with uncontrolled seizures um, or the rare epilepsies, and we also know that individuals and families living with the daily challenges of epilepsy want access to all professional treatment options. Mm-hmm. But again, um, you know, want to say that we do encourage our families to have meaningful c- discussions with their
3: physicians um, to be as informed as possible
0: okay and betty joe boucher you have the last word
3: sure oh lovely um <laughs> wanted to echo what everyone else said um wonderfully said and also just thank the the senators that were involved in the bills and the patients and the families that uh, we're able to come and testify, um, you know, to the to the, their needs as Hoosiers um, and just want to, you know, sort of encourage the governor to have an open mind um, and ask us if he has questions. You know, we would be happy to, you know, to sort of come and talk to him about our kids and, you know, the challenges um, that they face. And also just want to say, you know, um, good luck on the I-STEP at Sand Creek Intermediate today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Thanks all, to all of our guests and to producer Ryan Battista and engineer Mike Pashkash for helping us through the program today, of course. And for Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.